Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. God has fulfilled this for their children in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. The three young men, I'm trying to remember their Hebrew names, but we know them by their Babylonian given names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they understand the nature of God and his creation, even earthly kings, and to one another. They properly understand this relationship. They recognize that King Nebuchadnezzar had, would have no authority at, at all, like Pilate, unless it had been given to him from above. Indeed, all earthly kings, that is, all rulers of this earth, are given their authority by God, as Jesus said to Pilate. You would have no authority at all unless it had been given to you from above. And so, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knows that they have a higher calling. They serve a higher lord than the king, Nebuchadnezzar. They don't dispute that Nebuchadnezzar is king of Babylon and that they are his royal subjects and that they are to serve him, except, as we hear in the book of Acts, as it is said by the apostle, when push comes to shove, we must obey God rather than men. These three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, know that they serve the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, even if they don't yet know his name, is Yahweh saves, Jesus. And so when the king presses them and, well, demands that they worship both him and the golden image that he has set up, when the sound of the harp and lute and horn and flute and lyre and psaltery and the symphony of all the music fall down and worship that golden image, then all will be well. But he can't demand that because worship belongs to God the Lord and to him alone. And so they confess, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. The king cannot demand worship of himself or of any of the gods that he has made, because, of course, all the gods made by the hands of men are idols, wood or precious metals or stone, all of which are dead and lifeless. The idols cannot hear, they cannot speak, and they cannot save. So of course you can't worship them, but nor can you worship the earthly king who does hear and does see and can act, yet demanding worship is not his. We actually prayed about this in the psalm, and in the psalm you recognize that uh, kings are given to learn this hard lesson, sometimes harder than others. When the psalmist, David, says, who is the king himself, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, Jesus, 
lest you be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. On the other hand, blessed are all who take refuge in him. When Israel first demanded their king, the first king being Saul, if you recall in 1 Samuel, um, Samuel only reluctantly does what they demand. Because by demanding a king, they are rejecting the judge, Samuel. They're also, as the Lord himself says, rejecting the Lord as king. Wanting such an earthly king like all the nations around them, the Lord himself says is a way of rejecting him. And yet, he allows them to do so, so that they may learn exactly what the kings are like. He even has Samuel instruct the people and tell them the kings are going to take 10% of everything, or I suppose more if you live in a country like, or country, (laughs) funny, like California. I was going to say, I should have said state. I suppose it's like their own country, aren't they? Right? But high taxation, requiring uh, your young men to serve in military. Samuel tells Israel that the king will demand their young women to serve as bakers and as perfumers and in other acts of service. That the state will become an all-consuming entity that will need and demand even service, obedience, taxation, and the like. Sound familiar, I suppose. And again, often the king will not serve the Lord with fear or come before the Lord with trembling or kiss the son lest he be angry. Saul is the first example. The first king is also the first to go against the Lord's word, offering an unlawful sacrifice in place of Samuel out of fear of the Philistines, to which Samuel then declares to him that his kingdom is being taken away from him and his family and will be given to another. So it has always been that the earthly authorities of this world are all subject to God the Lord. But it's not just the earthly authorities. We also have a confusion when it comes to what you might call the spiritual authorities, or as uh, St. Peter calls them, the powers and principalities in the heavenly places. They have names. The prince of this world is called Satan, the deceiver, the devil. Of course, those angels that forsook the Lord and went after Satan and joined in league with him are called the demons. And of course, then, they hmm, they are opposed to Jesus. They are opposed to you, and especially opposed to you because you believe in Jesus. But we are a little confused about them because we think that it's this cosmic battle that, well, the jury's out as to who will win. The verdict is not yet known. Except all throughout the scriptures, the demons obey Jesus. Satan himself is restrained by the word of the Lord. Even as far back in the book of Job, Satan has to ask permission to afflict Job, and the Lord allows him. Throughout all the scriptures, even Satan and the demons are under God's dominion. He is God of God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, after all. And even they must obey him. Which changes things a little bit, doesn't doesn't it? Rather than think of this battle even within your own heart between God and Satan, and who's going to win today, the reality that the Bible confesses, both with earthly authorities and even spiritual authorities, is that God is Lord. And there's never been a time or a place where God has not 
been in authority and exercising that authority for you and for your good. Which begs the question then, what about in a time when you are spiritually afflicted, when you have doubts that arise in your heart, when you feel the pressure of your own sinful flesh weighing down on you or even maybe perceive the attacks of of the demonic with their lies and murdering? Or what about times when you are given to live under tyranny, under kings who demand from you more than what is just and fair? When they take your your life and your property, um, your wealth, your well-being, your livelihood, maybe even force you to stay in your home and, and not go to work and not earn a fair wage. Maybe these tyrants then exercise other authority over you, make your life even more oppressive than what we experienced a few years ago. Are they fighting against God? Well, surely, or so they think. But is God not God of God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings? The better question would be, why has God allowed these earthly authorities to become how they are, to rise up against God and against his anointed? And for that, we also have a spiritual answer. Like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to enact an unlawful demand, a worship of both the king and his gods, in order to test or try the faith of these three young men, and to which God, in his grace and mercy, had given faith so that they rebuked even the king to his face and told him that he could not demand such worship, even were willing to give their very lives for the sake of the truth, trusting that God perhaps even could raise them from the dead, as he had long promised. And so they submitted themselves to the king and said, we will not worship the gold image you've set up or serve your other gods. And they were cast into the unnaturally heated burning fiery furnace. That isn't a picture of hell. What is it? What is it? And yet, the fires could not touch them, could not singe even their clothing or their hair. They were protected, and of course, standing amongst them, the key to understanding that story is a fourth man. How does Nebuchadnezzar describe him? The form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So there it is. Worship belongs to Jesus and to him alone, who is King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone has already defeated sin, death, and the devil by his suffering and death on the cross, which was, of course, God's intent from even before the foundation of the world, as the apostle confesses in Colossians. God has always had this in mind. He has always been working for you and for your salvation. That doesn't mean everyone has always recognized it or understood it, The disciples didn't even understand what Jesus was about until after his resurrection and the giving of his spirit upon them. And then their eyes were opened and they understood that all that had been written about him by Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms had been fulfilled by his suffering and death and resurrection there on Good Friday and Easter during that holy week. Now they understand and now you understand. God is working all things together for your good, even suffering, misery, spiritual attack. They are all under God's authority, under his lordship and his kingship. As Luther reminds us, the devil is on the leash. 
he's God's devil, and they cannot harm you as long as you remain with Christ, who has already defeated them. They are like nipping at your heels like an annoying little dog, but cannot harm you. The fire cannot send you. The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Thanks be to Jesus in his holy name. Amen. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.